0: All right, if you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Exodus, chapter 20. And here we are at the end of the Ten Commandments. I will say this. Y'all are missing out. If you don't know uh, even any or some of what all is happening in kids' ministry, and preschool ministry, and uh, it, it is vibrant, right? There's lots happening all the time. In fact, if you have kids or have preschoolers, I would just say that you do need to make sure you're here tonight uh, as a part of Sundays on Sunday. You will want that time uh, to get to see and be excited about what is ahead. And uh, there's still recruiting going on, so if if you have been contacted or if you you are one who says, hey, I'm interested in working with kids and you haven't yet reached out to Emily or Gretchen, then today is the day. Make that happen. They would love to to plug you in. But speaking of, hey kids, I want y'all to pay attention. If you haven't yet, look on the back side of the the outline, and today there is a a special coloring page for you there. Uh, It is... It is intentional because it's the end of our series on the Ten Commandments. We we will still be in uh, the book of Exodus over the next several weeks, but but uh, the end of the Ten Commandments. And so uh, the the picture is what I believe is Moses coming down with from the mountain with those two tablets. And so yeah, uh, as you color that, think about all that has uh, been given to us, even as we've been reminded this summer. Uh, of these, the rich truths that go so much deeper than the surface level of each of these commandments. I know I have learned that as I have studied. Uh, this week in my studies, I learned about cravings. I don't know much about cravings. Uh, I, I tried to, to learn more about food cravings. They're a real thing not just something that you make up in your head. So 90% of people experience food cravings. I don't know who the 10% are. (laughs) I have not yet met you. Don't introduce yourself to me. If you are one of those, I will not be encouraged, right? Uh, but, But I learned this, there are three types of food cravings, okay? So there's one that's described as a supportive food craving. It's when your body craves for things that will help it specifically even when it can help it like heal uh, yourself. So you're craving, uh, think think about like when you're thirsty and and the, the fluid you get will help you or, or when your body craves electrolytes or your body uh, needs salt intake or, or any of these kind of things. When it's, it's craving something that's actually good for you, there's dispersive cravings. That's when your body craves what you think will be helpful, but it is actually not helpful. Think like uh, sugar, right? You think, oh, I just need a boost, right? So I'll I'll get the sugar, but you know what it does? It takes you higher, so the crash hurts more, right? And so it's like this isn't this isn't actually helpful. Then there's uh, this is a unique one. A- associative uh, cravings are ones that uh, are more like nostalgic cravings. So think like. You, you go into grandma's house, and it doesn't matter what grandma's cooking, you smell, like you could smell the must of the carpet in grandma's house, and you'll want her bread, right? I love that I got an amen on that. <laughs> Cravings are starting to happen right now for some of you, right? But, but you know what I'm talking about? Like you go to a certain place or a certain restaurant, a certain home, uh, or you're just with a certain person, and you start thinking, ooh, like I sure would like that. My, my memo, she made uh, sausage biscuits, like sausage that was in the biscuit, not like just like a sausage patty. It was in, the, I don't know how she did it. My mom now makes them. And so those are nostalgic for me, right? I, I think about memo biscuits. But what, <laughs> I love it. Uh, but what about the times we crave not for food, but for something that is not ours? Right? I don't know if that's, that happens to you, but it, right, we seem to long for something that is not only not ours, but it oftentimes belongs to someone else. It's a different kind of craving altogether, right? That's what this command in verse 17 of Exodus 20 is referring to. It says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, you might not see it as this way here on the surface, but what we find is that this is really like a progression of coveting. Right? This, is, this is one of those verses that's longer, right? Some of these other ones, you shall not steal, boom. You shall not murder, boom. Right, some of them that were much more seemed much more direct, much more uh, certainly more brief. But in this case, there's like this progression of coveting, craving, wanting, longing for something that is not yours. So today, we're going to look at two ways in which we can a- approach the challenges that come with cravings. So we'll, we'll look first at this progression of longing. Instead, in, in hoping that we will learn to linger in the patterns of contentment. But first, let's look at the progression of longing, right? Like I said, you may not even have realized it, but this text is, is written in a progression, step-by-step kind of order. And the first step in the progression is societal items, Right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, that might seem plain and simple. Don't want what's not yours. Don't want someone else's house. But, but you might also consider all the stuff in the house, right? We've been talking about stuff a little bit here over the last few weeks, we just talked about do not steal. Don't take something that's not yours. But this is saying don't even covet it. Don't long for it. Don't crave for it. That's definitely where the concept of keeping up with the Joneses comes from, right? We have that tendency. I was thinking about how we, we load our list. We load our need list. Sometimes with wants, don't we? This is what Paul David Tripp says about that. He says, we are all very skilled at loading our desires into our need category. Once we have, we think it's our right to have those things. Therefore, it's appropriate to do whatever is necessary to possess those things. Right? So that's, that's how the, the pattern goes. That we, we put desires or things that we long for, things that we want, things that we crave, into a list of, of needs. And then we decide, well, because we need it, we must do whatever it takes to get those things because, after all, we, we need them. This is why the average American adult holds close to $40,000 in debt that is not connected to a mortgage average credit card debt is between $5,000 and $8,000. With two million Americans today holding over $50,000 in credit card debt. Now, I realize that even as you're sitting here, you might be thinking about your own debt, things that you have, and, and you might, maybe there are legitimate reasons, right? There You might have uh, school loans. You might have uh, hospital debt. There's, there's all kinds of things that, that can cause strenu- strain. And, and you're thinking, look, I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm trying to stay alive, right? So I, I understand that that we are in, there, there's all different kinds of people in the room. But I also realize that, that m- most of these issues are not because uh, people don't have that kind of credit card debt because they're trying to earn points, right? Or because they're trying to get sky miles, because we're trying to get a better credit score. Most are trying to do that because they want to have what our neighbors have. But here's the crazy part. Most of our neighbors are doing the same thing we are. Wouldn't it just be nice if we all knew, like, let's just be honest. I'm trying to get that thing you got, and you're trying to get that thing. Can we just share? Like, I'll have the boat. You got the pool. We'll be fine. Right? But, but we don't do that way. Right? Right? There's, there's something in us that makes us believe that we ought to have that which someone else has. It's our right. It's our need. And, and so God, God knew this long before. By the way, I, I was thinking about this and wrestling a little bit because I was thinking, man, this is such an American problem. Right? This is an issue for the United States of America, and don't get me wrong, it is. But I was, I was looking. Turns out, he was speaking to the people of Israel thousands of years ago. This is a human problem. See, this is a sin problem. This is not just an American problem. It is that, but it's not only that. This is a problem because God knew you're going to, to want what other people have, and you shouldn't. You should be content with the things that I provide you. This is what the Lord is saying in this, why would it be why would it be so bad for us to crave or to want or to long for something else, maybe even something better? It's, it's a lack of satisfaction in what's been given to us. And that goes beyond just, uh, right, this progression here goes beyond just societal items, just a house or the, the stuff that fills the house. It goes beyond that to romanticized relationships. Right, still in, in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Huh? If, if the previous one kind of took us back to do not steal, this one takes us back even a little bit further to commandment number seven you shall not commit adultery. Quite literally, you shall not even want long for someone else's spouse. But even more than that: Don't crave for your spouse to be someone else. I don't know if that, that computes. I, I realize that, that for some of us, uh, the, <coughs> the wrestle is not uh, whether or not like we, we want someone else to be our spouse. We're not trying to uh, commit adultery in that way. And so we, can, so we say in our head, oh, we're, we're checking this box. We're healthy. We're good. But, but sometimes what we're longing for, what we're craving for, is for our spouse that we chose to marry to act different, to be different, to look different, to sound different, to cook different, to clean different, to something different. We want something else. Ultimately, we want someone else. We're constantly comparing them to that coworker we have or that other friend we have or that friend of a friend that we have or that person on TV. We have unhealthy fantasy or even wishful wanting of better, quote unquote, or more handsome or prettier or whatever fill in the blank is. This specific command is a reference to a contentment. Even a healthy satisfaction with what God has given you. I would even argue that for those those in our faith family that are single, to be content in your singleness. I realize for me, it's easy for you to say, Chad, you're the married one. But there is a, a call here to not... Covet, not long for something that God has not yet provided. Trust him in this. Be content. Be satisfied. But not just do not covet your neighbor's wife. It goes beyond that romanticized relationship within the family. It goes into work relationships. Do not covet his male servant or his female servant. Ever want someone else's job? Not just like working hard in order that you might receive a promotion or or being diligent in hopes that, that, yeah, you might shift positions. But maybe you just find yourself kind of always whining or even mentally complaining that someone else has it better than you do. has more people working for them than you do. And you, you think you should have that responsibility, that authority. You like, when you look across the room, you think, man, they've got an easier load than I have. I wish I had their, their workload. I wish I had their class schedule. Which leads, honestly, to a craving for unrealistic circumstances. This is that progression still. We're still in verse 17. And that progression goes beyond just wanting a male servant or a female servant or wanting someone else's job, want someone else's uh, employees or whatever the case is. You you want life to be easier. That's why he talks about an ox or a donkey. You might think, really, I don't have any desire for an ox, ox or a donkey at all, Chad. I'm good on this one. I have not coveted an ox in my entire life but if you know what they're coveting when they're coveting when when God is giving this command he is speaking to like the heart of something that would have made their life easier oh your ox or your donkey was your your work <laughs> your the way that you got food <laughs> It was the way you planted. It was the way you carried things. It was. It was. The, it was. You're wanting your load to be lighter. You want easier. And this is like saying, uh, like wanting someone else's zero-turn lawnmower when all you've got is a push mower, right? Or it's like uh, when you you crave for the robot vacuum instead of the standard plugged-in type. You actually have to push over the carpet. Right, we're wanting ease. This is a craving for something that is just easier, not not necessarily more simple, but easy. There is a desire for simplicity. Oh, I just want like things to to not be so convoluted or challenging or difficult. But I love how clear the Lord makes this last part of the command. In fact, if I were you, or may, uh, maybe this is an, a, an instruction to you, underline the last part of the verse 17, or anything that is your neighbor's. You know what that covers? Anything that is your neighbor's. Right? This, this answers it all. So he gives us specifics so our mind might start thinking oh like I, I shouldn't want or crave or long for some my my neighbor's house or the stuff that's in it what about the stuff that's outside of it Oh I okay. Well, maybe not my uh, neighbor's spouse or my neighbor's children or my neighbor's family or my neighbor's work, my neighbor's employees, my neighbor's stuff, my, my neighbor's ox or my neighbor's donkey. In fact, nothing, anything that is your neighbor's, you should not crave. This is like the house, the car, the toy, the, the Nintendo Switch, the time that your neighbors went to Disney three times last year. And you wish you had gone to Disney. And you also wish that your kids were as pleasant as their kids surely were. Because you saw it on Facebook. Everything there is true. Right? Social media has made all of this worse for us. Not better. Because people don't post a picture of their kids melting down at the line at like the spinny teacups. They don't post you almost throwing up after doing the spitting teacups, right? No, everything's great. It's the selfie on the way, and everything's happy. And all the while, you just said to your kids, smile right now. You're having a great time, right? Like this is, this is what we do. Hey, this is great. And then we post it, and so everybody's like, man, they've got the happiest family and the happiest place on earth. And so this is what we we foster, like we we fuel that in our in each other. Hey, you should want what I want, what I have. We're not even helping each other out, right? And and yet we are supposed to be simplifying it for each other. We want though, we crave that what appears to be like a simple life. But what God is saying to the, the people of Israel then and now to us is that we must seek contentment instead of the, the ongoing like progression of covetousness, the longing, the craving for fulfillment in what someone else has. Instead, let's have a pattern of contentment. So I want you to do something for me. If you would, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want us to read a portion there. as so Paul is writing to, again, the church at Philippi. And he is... Uh, Maybe even just reminding the people of what a a pattern of contentment might look like. So it begins in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and by God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. You see, these patterns of contentment begin with a recognition that you have your needs supplied. It it begins with supplied needs. My God, verse 19, if this is not underlined in your Bible, this is one you should underline, circle, do something, remind yourself of this. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. we are much more at ease if we believe this to be true. You see, our anxiety level rises when we do not believe that God is in control in this way. What happens is we, we attempt to take control, right, of, of our needs, of our, and right, then we wrongly allocate our wants into our needs as we've already discussed and then we decide that we're going to do whatever it takes to meet to to satisfy those needs because we've already declared them as needs and rights that we have and so then we do whatever we can and we will strive what seems like endlessly like on a a hamster on a wheel, right? Just spinning our wheels over and over and over and over again, trying to fulfill those needs. And what this says is that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. Two things about that. One, he's supplying every need. So what that means is it's actual needs, like, what is necessary for you? And, you know, sometimes, not only do we put things in the, the need list that are nowhere near the need list. I would say things like uh, a refrigerator that talks back to you. Right? That's not on the need list. I don't care if you have one. I mean, I think it's weird, but fine. But like we, we put some of those things in the need list, but, but then the reality is when we think we need health, and what the Lord says is, you need me. We think we need a job, and what God says is, you need me. We think we need a child, and God says, you need me. We think we need a spouse, and God says, "You need me." Right? Where does the where does it come from? So, not only does He give us like that He is going to provide the needs, but where is that need going to be met? In Him, He is supplying the need in the glorious, in the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This isn't just, I need you to catch this. This isn't just that God's going to grant you, that Jesus is going to be like the, the waiter that brings you the supplied needs on the platter. It's that Jesus is bringing you Himself. And Jesus is saying, I am enough. That's hard church. It's hard to get through. You ever heard that? Fact? Your thick skull? <laughs> My thick skull? Because I got lots of things that I feel like are needs. I feel like are pretty legitimate. Jesus says, I'm what you need. Have you ever thought things like, I know God wouldn't want me to not have these things or or wouldn't want me to to go through this struggle or this hardship. Wouldn't want my child to go through this hard thing. Really? Have you read the Bible? Have you seen all of the hardships and heartache that, that God not only like sees people through, but that he actually puts people in? for his purpose, so that his people would draw closer to him? It's possible that what you're going through, this hard, challenging thing, is not just an accident, but it's brought about that you might see your supplier and know him. Know him as not only the supplier, but as the supply. So this pattern of contentment begins with, with supplied needs. It continues with holy relationships. Instead of romanticized ones, look at, look at verses uh, 16 and following. Even in, even in Thessalonica, you sent me for help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Notice this. This is healthy, holy, good relationships. You're you're providing for me, church. This is what he's saying. Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, you have sent for me people and stuff that I need. Stuff that, that actually, like I'm abundantly, I'm well supplied. I have more than I need. You know how that happens? It doesn't just happen randomly. It happens in the context of relationships. And I would argue that that's what we need. As a church, we need strong, healthy relationships with one another. If, if your manner of your habit for Sunday after Sunday is to simply come into this room and then leave this room, you are missing a huge component of church life. I'm not saying we can't greet each other. I'm not saying that we can't give each other a hug and have sweet time in here. I'm not saying that the the singing isn't awesome, that the reading of the word is not healthy, that the preaching hopefully is in align with the word week after week. I'm saying that if that's all you've got, you're missing these holy, healthy, good relationships that are designed to provide not only what you need, but also that you might be a provider. That you might be an encouragement. That you might be a a prayer offered to someone else. That you might be a hand on their shoulder of confrontation even. And that you might receive the same. I will tell you, you've heard about Sundays on Sundays for kids, but uh, like this is a great time for you to start a new life group, for you to start that process. Hey, okay, like, uh, there, there are some new ones getting going, and so you are welcome to try one of those, but there's also ones that are well-established, and just because they're well-established doesn't mean they don't want you there. We are open life groups to say, come here, and we want to love you. We've already known each other a while, so we we got a lot of space to know you. No, like that's what we need. We need to be able to care for each other in this way. And contentment is saying I'm content I- enough with what Jesus provides for me that when I go to a group, I can provide for others as well. I can be an encourager, I can be a giver and a receiver in that sense. So we don't have to covet what our our neighbors' family and our neighbors' employee and our neighbors' work and all of those kind of things. No, we. We are sa- instead, we find contentment. I wonder, as you are thinking also about your family, do you pray for your family? Do you read scripture with your family? Or are you just wanting something or someone else? Siblings, like kids, teenagers. Listen, are you kind to your siblings? Or do you like purposely make things harder for them just because you can? Because you, better than anybody else, know what buttons to push? You try to say things that make whatever the problem is more their fault than it is yours? Right? Like, are you looking for these kinds of ways to say, no, I'm, I'm not just content, I'm Pleasantly satisfied with the sibling that God gave me. Holy relationships. And finally, light burdens. You might be thinking, Chad, I thought you just told me that things aren't going to be easier just because I trust in the Lord. And now you're telling me that there's lighter burdens? All right, so I need you to listen to this text again. Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I hope you catch the context of verse 13. It is not that you will be able to run faster or Dunk the ball or score the touchdown or hit a home run, or whatever the context of athletic event that you think that that originally meant. Paul is not saying that you are going to be able to dunk. I can promise you I can't. But I believe I can do all things through him who strengthens me. right? You see, burdens are light because they are handled by the Lord. They're not light because they don't exist. And I was, I was thinking about, as I was kind of wrapping up final notes on, on this sermon, I was thinking about, here's the spot where I, I point people to, the, to Christ. I point people to the good news that Jesus makes your burdens light. And I, I had a, a moment of fear. And here's my fear. That you will believe that I am saying that if you come to Jesus, everything becomes easy. That you will have no more struggles, that you'll have no more trials, that you'll have no more hardships. And I want to be as clear as possible. That is not what I am saying. Nor is it what Paul is saying in Philippians, nor is it why the Ten Commandments tells you to be content. What I am saying as I echo the sentiments of these two texts, is that when you are carrying the heavy load of heartbreak and sorrow and sadness and depression and anxiety and job loss and bad grades and mean friends and medical emergencies, you will not carry it alone. your burden will be lighter because you will be connected to the one carrying the heavy load. That's the design, the the richness of the gospel. You see, the, the gospel affects more than just your eternal dwelling place. I have preached that sermon before, right? You may have heard it, that That in order for you to spend everlasting life, eternity in heaven, instead of eternity in hell, eternal death separated from God, in order to do that, you must turn over your life, repent of your sin, and trust in Jesus. And there is no question that is true. But but you need to know that it doesn't just affect, the gospel doesn't just affect your eternal dwelling place. The gospel also affects your current living space. It affects you right here, right now. We are are so filled with what was described earlier, right, as those dispersive cravings, ones that we think will help us that won't. Because we are truly craving the sweetness of God's grace. Right, We, we think if we could just... Fill this void. If, if our spouse could just do this thing, we would be better. If our kids would just obey just this one little thing, we would be better. If we would just get that grade. If we would just make it into that school. If we would just get that promotion. If we would just have what our neighbor has. If we would just have something else that, that man, then it would all be good. Everything would be sufficient. But what, what this tells us is be content. Be satisfied because what you've been offered is the sweetness of God's grace. Don't crave for the, the sugary high that its crash will hurt more. Crave, crave Jesus, the one from whom all blessings flow. For every good and perfect gift comes from from him, So I wonder, are you willing to give up all of your other wants and simply pursue the one that you truly need? In order to do that, we must repent. Because if we evaluate ourselves for very long at all, we'll know that we're longing for something else. We want our way, our plan, our stuff, in fact, our sin. What the Bible tells us is that we must turn away from that and trust in Jesus, the one who will carry our burdens, the one who will walk with us through the fire, When the waters are raging around us, he holds our hand. So would you trust in him? In fact, if you've never done that, then right where you sit, you can call on God and and believe in him. Believing that Jesus' death carried the penalty for your sin. That his resurrection from the dead proved that it worked. Maybe you have more questions about that. Maybe it's just just stirring in you and you're curious or you want to know more. Then I would urge you in in just a moment when we stand to sing that you would make your way down one of these aisles and come right here. There'll be someone standing here that would love to talk to you more about how how to follow after Jesus. Maybe you know him well. Maybe today was simply a reminder to continue day after day to trust in him to believe, to be content in what the Lord has given you. Would you stand with me as we give him the praise he deserves?